0: So it's on, you know, I, I think about things like this and I think, you know, Isaac's going to come in the fall or, or at the end of summer and that's going to be a good thing, right? Well, and then I have to stop and say, oh, Isaac's here today. That means it's pretty much the end of summer. It's like, good grief. It's like, come on. Um, I was talking, listening to some teachers talk back and forth before the first service. They're like, so when do your kids start? Another one. Well, when do your kids start? And the one said he starts this coming week. Like two and a half weeks ahead of like Madison County or something. It's like, man, it is here. It is on us and we are running. Well, uh, we're glad to have you here today. The message I want to share with you is in our nuts and bolts file, if we can call it that. Um, generally speaking, when I do a sermon series, I'm, I'm uh, working and working and working. And if, if the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to me about something different while he's speaking to me about this, he, he has me to make a note. And so I've made a note, and this is the scripture, this is the passage, this is the message that I want to share with you today. My prayer right now, Holy Spirit, is that you will come, that you will begin to affect our hearts. God, we live in a world that is ugly, we live in a world that is mean, we live in a world that is just a dog chasing its tail. And God, I wonder so many times, when is it that you're going to blow the trumpet. But Father, you have not and that means we have work to do. And as we have work to do, that work begins with me on me. You've asked me to allow you to work on me. And my prayer today, God, is that you, you complete that work. Not, not finish it, like stay a little bit longer, but that, that that's what it's about, God. And let that be all of our prayer. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, there's, a, there's just an understanding that we've got to get a hold of sometimes that as we come in and we say, God, I want you to move in my life. what we want is god to change me but so many times we come in and we say god if you would just change this person or that person or my husband or my wife and the fact of the matter is if me joe wood in this three square feet will allow god to change him god can do amazing things in my heart and my attitude and i want god to do that in your life today that is honestly what i want for you so i want to talk to you today about how's your run going how is your run going Okay, some of you are like, run, I ain't running, it's not happening. Some of you are like all about it's biblical, right? A fool runs when there's nothing chasing you. So I just kind of get over that a little bit, okay? Come on, that's, you know, that's like using Scripture to get your way, manipulation. We call that hermeneutical calisthenics. Do you know what that means? Exercising the Scripture until it says what you want it to say. That's what that means. But let's talk about this for just a second. Um, I used to run, now I walk really fast. I do. I read somewhere that running is harder on your body than walking fast is. That walking fast is better for you. You have to walk a little further. Um, But walking fast, right at the edge of wanting to run, is actually better on your body. And by the way, it just hurts to run. You know, I'm getting old. My ankles are starting to bother me a little bit. But generally speaking, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, a friend of mine named Bruce comes over to my house and we go out. And we're going to do this thing and it's going to happen, okay? Okay. And so God is asking me when I'm thinking about this, Joe, how's your run going? And I'm like, God, I'm at the place where I'm walking. I wish you would bring healing on this old body, but it's been beat up pretty bad through the years, through different things, and I understand that. I'm leaving it here, and I'll be glad to do that. But the truth of the matter is, Bruce is going to come over, and he told me this past week, he goes, whenever you're ready to start running again, we'll start running, okay? And I said, great. (laughs) It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. But Bruce comes over at 4.30, and I'm telling you right now, if you ask me how my run's going, I have more excuses not to run than I have reasons to run. Because I will constantly come up with excuses why I shouldn't have to do the things that I don't want to do, and that's lazy Christianity. Check this out. Some days I pray for rain. Because Bruce says that if it's raining at 4.30, we don't have to run. And I promise you, my clock goes off at 4.15 and the first thing I do is grab my phone, hit the the weather bug, and open the window at the same time. Because I can see outside faster than the weather bug will come up. And then I come down and it's like, okay, 15 more minutes. Please God, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain. I don't want to get out of the bed at 4.30. I do that. Sometimes I pray so hard that it will snow. Sometimes I pray that the temperature will get below 30 or 29 or 25 or whatever it is Bruce says, we don't have to run if it gets below that. And then the one time he made me run and it was like nine degrees outside and it's like, Bruce, it's nine degrees, that hurt. He said, yeah, but it was a good kind of hurt, right? No, (laughs) no, Bruce. I know you're like five years older than me, but no, it was not a good kind. That's when we determined that if it wasn't at least 25, we didn't have to run. Then I started praying, God, please make it 24. Please make it 24. All right. And so we do that. But here's the deal. The truth of the matter is I know, because back then I was running, I know that running is good for my health. I know it is. But I don't always do what's good for me, do I? Not even in my spiritual relationship to God. I know that running with Bruce is good for my mental health. It clears things out. It burns off the energy. It burns off the chemicals in my body that clear out the negative stuff in in my heart. I know that when I run with Bruce, he lets me talk, and we would run right at the edge of where you can talk. That's how you know how fast you're supposed to run, believe it or not. I read it in a runner's magazine. You should run right up to the point, it's best for you to run, right up to the point where you can still talk. Okay? And so I run with Bruce, and we both talk back and forth. We share scriptures. We we share prayers at times. We talk about family. We dump it all out there. And by the time we get done with two and a half miles, it, it just feels like, wow, that feels great. And then Bruce goes home, and he showers up, and he's got to be like down in London at 6:30. I go home, and I shower up, and I go back to bed. Um, that's it's like as long as I can go back to bed for another half an hour, I'm good with it. But I know it's good for me. I know it is. And so I've been reading 1 and 2 Corinthians, and I've been studying Paul and looking at what he said. So this is going to be a deeper 2018, okay? Normally speaking, this is actually a message, believe it or not. You want want me to show you a little? This would be a message where I wear a dark shirt. Say, what? What does that have to do with anything? Generally speaking, if I have something really serious to say, I wear a dark shirt. I do. (laughs) It's, It's just a dumb thing. I just do it. And and so today I was thinking, I think I was supposed to wear a dark shirt today. Because this is going to be like, get a hold of life and grab it and pull it out, okay? That's what this is going to be. And we want to talk about this just a little bit. God has created a lot of change in our life as a church right here this last little bit. Again, Pastor Justin is off and running. Pastor Isaac and his family are here and up and running. We're anticipating making one more higher um, before the fall. We want to anyway. Summer is drawing to a close. School is exploding and it's jumping out there. And I hear God saying, Joe, how's your run going? And it's like, Lord, it's chaos. Why is it chaos? Because we're not focused. Joe, all of this crazy, focus, bring it in. And so this is a scripture I want to share from, with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so... Paul is, is talking to the church in Corinth and believe it or not, he comes through all of this stuff saying, you know, I have the right to uh, preach for money. I have the right to lead and expect that the churches will support me. And, and he goes through all of those things saying, I have the right to do this, but I've never done it. And, and listen, let me just tell you, and he jumps right into this, this, uh, this metaphor of the games. Now, you and I would call the games the Olympics. Back then, they were just the games. The games okay they were the roman games they were the greco-roman games there was running there was wrestling there was boxing there was fighting there was you know kind of soldiery stuff you know what i'm saying and so these were the games and so paul launches into this and he says hey let me talk to you about this he says because you know that a race all the runners they run (laughs) is that like a duh moment if you said like hey we're gonna have a race we're gonna run a race okay but everybody has to run that's like, it's kind of expected, isn't it? It's like, come on. So he begins that way and he says, but run to get the prize. But you and I are running to finish this thing. And then he goes into this idea, he goes, but don't run like somebody who's running aimlessly. And in, in my notes in my Bible, I just put a question mark A question it says, run aimlessly. Question mark. What is running aimlessly? Just running all over and and accomplishing nothing. And in my mind, running aimlessly is the dog chasing its tail. It's just running. In my mind, it's the dog chasing the pickup truck down the road. What does a dog do with a pickup truck if it catches it? Have you ever thought about that? slam on the brakes, let him bite your tire, get out and say, what? And look at the dog. He never expects to catch it. He's going to run aimlessly. He wants to chase it. And Paul says, don't run to chase and do things aimlessly. He says, run to win. Does that describe your relationship to God? He said, don't be like boxing the air. Now, when you think about this, don't think about shadow boxing, because when you go through this motion over and over again, whether it's a pugilism or whether it's martial arts, I just wanted to use a word that some of you probably wouldn't know, so I threw that out there to sound smart, okay? It means fisticuffs. I mean, fisticuffs, that's a really old term for like, let's fight, like, come on, you know, let's let's do this thing. Um, but but whether it's martial arts or whether it's boxing, there is a repetition movement that is good for you so that it becomes. Comes instinctive and that is not what Paul's talking about Paul is more talking like the three year old that just threw itself down on the ground is kicking and doing this and just flailing at the air it's flailing and it's not going to accomplish a thing not at all children lay on the floor and they just do this and, and I love it when I hear a parent say go ahead we'll wait on you just tell me when you're done and it makes them mad. Or when, when you leave the child in the room and they do this and you're like, all right, let's go in the other room. And then the child gets up and runs into that room and throws itself down and starts all over again. It's like it only works if you're watching, right? But it's like beating the air and accomplishing nothing. And some of you, and there's times in my life when I feel like God, I feel like I'm beating the air and accomplishing nothing nothing and what paul is talking about is let's don't be lazy christians let's don't be that you ever thought about what that means to be a lazy christian and i'm not here to beat you up over the head i want to i want to challenge you you know every morning before i go into first service the prayer team will grab a hold of me and say pastor joe um we want to pray for you so we want to pray for you say so okay pray for me and they put their hands on me and they pray for me and this morning this morning um, somebody asked me, they said, so what are, we, what are we praying about? What's the message today? I said, we're going to talk about lazy Christianity. And they're like, oh Lord, please don't let Pastor Joe be real offensive to people and don't let them get offended. <laughs> and it's like, oh my goodness, my reputation precedes me. Holy cow, what's going on here? So I'm like, okay, I get it. I, listen, I honestly don't want to offend you, but I want to put something out there that you have to wrestle with. I, I don't want you to say, oh, that tastes good, that tastes good, that tastes... I want you to say, ah, why do I have to eat this? Because it's in the Word of God. That's what I want the answer to be. So Paul is talking about lazy Christianity. He's talking about being lazy in our call with Christ and our call to the mission of this world. He's talking about not spending time with God on a regular basis. He's talking about not taking the time to make your Bible knowledge important he's talking about letting the pastor do all the work that you're supposed to do but he only does it 30 minutes 35 minutes on one day where's the hunger in your life to spend time in the word of god on a regular basis he's talking about not serving not attending or just being hit or miss but i want to talk about your time in the word listen you can you can apply this lazy christianity if you just apply the word lazy to any area of your life how's your run going in your marriage? Are you being lazy about it? How is your run going at work? Are you a lazy employee? How is your run going at college? Are you getting the most out of that experience or are you just hoping to drift through and they throw you out with a diploma? Are you putting the energy into it? How is that? And then, of course, Paul is speaking as, how is it going with you and Jesus? Look at this. It says, Uh, I came across this quote. It says, in a fresh study, it's a Lifeway quote, okay? In a fresh study of Bible engagement released yesterday, that was in 2013, Lifeway research surveyed more than 2,900 Protestant churchgoers and found that while 90% desire to please and honor Jesus in all I do, only 19% personally read the Bible every day. Man, I just don't have time. Listen, I'm the pastor and I get up and it's like, God, help me be refreshed. Um, I want this day to be yours. Lord, I got to get to Purdy's because there's somebody there that I need to meet with and we're going to talk about their life or I get up and I'm like, "Lord, we're going to move forward." And and I don't start the beginning of my day. I wait till I get to church, and then I just don't have this like, "Nobody bother me. I just want to be with you." So, I get to spend time with God in the word, but it should be at the be- in my personal opinion, and this isn't a message about if you don't start your day with God, you're going to burn and go to hell. This is not that, okay? I'm just saying, is he that much of a priority or do I let church work supersede my relationship to him? because I'm a lazy Christian. See? R.C. Sproul says, here then is the real problem of our negligence in being in the Word. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, no. Not because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion, either one. Our problem, R.C. Sproul, is that we're lazy. We just don't do it. Like my time with Bruce, I would rather roll over, even though I know that being out on the blacktop with Bruce is good for my soul, good for my health, and good for my emotional well-being, I still would rather not do it. Just like getting up and getting into the Word is going to cramp your sleeping style, and just like it's going to cramp your day a little tiny bit, there is something about starting your day in the presence of God that gives you the strength to to meet the enemy there's nothing worse in my life when all of a sudden i realize i haven't spent time with god and i am facing an enemy and then i run back so in red, instead of it just engaging the battle and i know i can but i run back and i say god before i go back into this i need to be with you and then i go back and face it and it's a real thing The Japanese have a technique for overcoming laziness. It's a really cool thing. I read all up on it. It was awesome. It's called Kaizen. That's what it's called, Kaizen. Overcoming laziness 60 seconds at a time. They have a plan. Take 60 seconds of your day. You decide. 10 o'clock in the morning when the the clock strikes right at 10 o'clock, boom. You've got 60 seconds to work on whatever it is you hate to work on. And you only can work on it for 60 seconds. I used to hate math. So it's suggesting to me that I should take a math problem and only work on it for 60 seconds. At the end of 60 seconds, whether I've solved it or not, put it down and go to work. The premise is that if you do this enough time, pretty soon you're, you're going to work 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, and you're going to find that instead of being lazy about whatever this work is, you're starting to like it. And it's going to change your life. It's called Kaizen. Kaizen. Look it up. It's just absolutely cute. The Bible has an amazing plan for overcoming laziness. It really does. It's in the New Testament and everything. Paul told the church in Thessalonica that there is a manner in which you can actually help people overcome laziness. And I think we can apply it to our spiritual lives. This is what Paul says. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Okay, that's, a pretty, that's not a suggestion. a suggestion. It's a rule. The one who is unwilling to work should not eat. I'm just telling you right now, if that was the rule in my house, I would be the hardest worker in my house. I just would be. If my wife got up in the morning and said, I will make you eggs in a basket. You know what eggs in a basket are? Eggs in a basket when you take the toast and you butter it, and then you take a glass and you put it in the middle and you make the little disc come out of the middle and you put the egg in there. Did your mama ever do that for you? My mama did that for me a lot. My wife just figured that out about two years ago. And she makes me egg in a basket. If my wife were to get up and say, listen, if you'll get out the bed first, make the bed, go outside, mow the lawn, do this, I'll make you eggs in a basket, and uh, we'll have, I would go do it. Instead, she just brings it to me. It's awesome. I love it. I'm just telling you, if we followed the biblical principle that if you don't work, you don't eat, we would work a whole lot harder in our world. Let that settle in on you just a little bit. The book of Proverbs, Solomon writes to his son and says, A sluggard says there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. The lazy person always has an excuse not to do something but a successful people are always looking for the opportunity to do something. Let that sink in for just a second. When I'm looking at myself and my relationship to God, and I'm like, God, but I'm out here working for you. God, I've been praying, um, sitting here praying for these people here, people on my prayer list that I have, people on what I call my circle, you know, my circle of prayer from a book I read one time. It's like, God, I am praying, I am praying, and God's saying, but I want to be with you. I just want you to be quiet, and as you can probably imagine, that's the hardest thing in the world for me to do, is to sit still. But that's what God wants. He wants us to be in his presence. So I'm always looking for an excuse not to sit still. And God is saying, sit still, but sit still with me. Lazy people always look for excuses not to do something And successful people are always looking for reasons to take hold of an opportunity. Whether it's with God, with your career, with your relationships, are you making them work? You know, the scripture says that there's no such thing, I should say, there's no such thing as a 40-hour work week in the scripture. Because the scripture says six days will you work. And on the seventh, it shall be a Sabbath rest to you. They expect you to work six, God, put it in there. Work six days in a row and rest only one day. And, and man, I just thinking about that, it's like, oh man, that wore, that's wearing me out. That's making me tired saying it in the sermon. It's like, I want a whole weekend. God, when will people water ski? When will we ride our motorcycles? God, when will we do these things? But it's there. When I say lazy, what do you immediately think of? Am I too far into this message to say what does lazy mean to you? No, lazy's that guy standing on the street corner with a sign. He won't work for food. We know that. You know, is that is that lazy to you? Is lazy always somebody else? To me, lazy's always somebody. Else. When I was a kid, I was lazy. I'm going to tell you, the biggest fight my parents had for about five years of my life was cleaning my room. I didn't have a problem with you know like three week old underwear laying on the floor. It didn't bother me a bit. I only slept in there. I didn't have a problem with dirty socks laying in there. I didn't have a problem with all the chaos of my stuff all over the floor, everywhere. You know, that didn't bother me. It bothered my parents, and it was their house, and they wanted me to clean it up. But it, for some reason, didn't bother me. I always was looking for a reason not to have to do something. And then pretty soon, it was my life, and it was my house, and it was my car, and it was my whatever you want to call it, my relationship to Jesus. And I began to say, wow, am I lazy? And things began to change in my life. When I think of lazy, the definition for it is just unwilling to work or use energy. It's not that you don't have the energy. You're just not willing to use it. It's like, no, I don't want to. Man, we need to get that yard mode. Yeah, it's hot out there, isn't it? Yeah, I don't want to do that. We should do that when it's cooler. It's cooler. Go out there and mow the lawn. It's dew on the grass. It'll stick the inner side of the mower, choke it all up, and I won't get it mowed. I'd take me like three hours to mow the lawn. I can't do that. We always have an excuse not to do something, but there are reasons to do things. And if we're going to overcome laziness, I think there's a place here where we have to do something. And this is just what I was thinking about when I was looking at Paul saying, don't flail, Joe. Don't flail. And he said, you've got to have a plan. Lazy often means I don't have a plan. I'm lazy. I'm just doing the next thing. It's too easy. You have a plan for your life? I have no plan for my life. No, I don't have a plan. I don't know what I'm going to do. Why not? You got goals that you want to accomplish? You don't have to have the whole thing mapped out. I'm just asking, do you have a plan? How are you going to know if you're winning or if you're going to achieve it or if you're getting ahead of it? Do you have a plan for relationships? I know you have like a desire for relationship. I want to meet somebody who's like six foot and he's got dark hair and he's very svelte. And I want to, you know, it's like, yeah, we've got plans for a relationship. But guess what? My wife keeps saying, you're not going to marry somebody that you don't know. So you're going to have to know this person. So look around at all the people you know. Do you know a six foot, dark haired, svelte guy? Well, if you don't, then you're going to have to have a plan to meet a six-foot, dark-haired, svelte guy. Do you have a plan for your relationship? Do you have a plan for your money? Do you have a plan for your career? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan for date night? I have a plan for date night. I know there's going to be date night. And you're going to, listen, if this is your church, you're going to die hearing me talk about date night. I promise you. Or I'm going to die talking about date night. One of the two. I just want you to know that. Date night is that important to relationships. I believe that. I don't always know what's going to happen on date night, but I know when date night is. And I know who I'm going on date night with. And I've I've got that planned out, and I can anticipate that, but we can work together at the where. The most scary thing in my life raising children was that somebody would want to date my daughters and not have a plan for date night. Because if you don't have a plan for date night, things can go bad. Because the Bible says, where there is no plan, no revelation, the people perish and cast off restraint. So I just was always nervous for my children. It's like, hey, what's your plan? Hey, we're going to go out tonight. Where are you going? I'm just going out with the guys. What are you going to do? I don't know. No, you are definitely not going out. <laughs> it's like, tell those boys to come in the house and you can like, do what you want here. But uh-uh. I was worried in my own life and my children about flailing. Lazy can mean I don't want a plan. It really can. It can mean I do not want a plan. You know, Jesus said, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. He says, take no thought. I've got to do this in King James for you, okay? Take no thought for the morrow. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. What that means is, don't worry about tomorrow. You just, you just do today. You just do you right now. Don't worry about tomorrow. But it doesn't say don't plan. It says don't worry about tomorrow. Don't don't let your worries carry into the next day before you get to the next day. But it does not say don't plan for the next God planned. The scripture says that God preordained or he, He planned way ahead of time for these good works, these good deeds for us to do. God planned them, the Bible says. Well, if God plans, then planning is okay for us, and we're not going to overcome laziness if we don't plan. Paul says to overcome laziness, I have to force myself to do things. I have to force myself to do things I don't want to do. I beat my body, and I make it do these things. We go into training. I'm not a big marathon runner. I just want to be a little bit healthy. But one time somebody asked me, they said, hey, you want to run a Tough mutter with us? Back in 2013, it was Jeff Prosser, and he's a godly man. And you don't say no to godly people. No, I don't want to run with you. That's dumb. The Bible says a fool runs when nobody is chasing him, right? I mean, you keep keep posting that online, Proverbs 28 or 29 or whatever. A fool runs when there's nobody chasing him. But anyway, I said, yeah, I'll do that. So like, Three, four months ahead of time, I began to run. I wanted to be able to do this thing. 11 and a half mile, 24 obstacles we had to give, get over. It was up in um, Ohio. It was April. It was cold. It was muddy. It was nasty. It was gross. It was everything you hoped for. And so you, we went up there, and we did this thing and climbed walls and jumped off 20-foot things into freezing water of ice and and all that kind of nasty stuff. And and it was absolutely great. It was amazing. And then at the very end, all I wanted was a t-shirt that said, I ran a Tough mutter I would have paid a hundred bucks for it and skipped it if I could have. I really would have. But the point is you have to go through the electric um, wiry thing in order to get the t-shirt. And it's literally 10,000 volts. Before my group started, I stood next to the thing on the power pole, and it was like 99.99999.6 volts, so it was just under 10,000. And then like eight people would go running through, then it would go 9,000 volts, and then it would charge back. Up, and I thought, that looks like it hurts. Now, there's very little amperage to it, but it still hurts. I remember going through it and waking up, looking up, at the little wires hanging down. I don't know how long I was down there, but I remember thinking, a little blonde-haired girl just went racing right through. You had a body mass of like one. I got like a body mass of like 35. And I'm thinking, I got more protection than her. It doesn't work that way. It works the exact opposite. I went down like a Polack steer. Boom, pow, down. I got the shirt. I crawled under the wires the rest of the way. But I put myself in training to make it. I stopped making excuses not to do it. I will never do it again. Ever. Ever. But I did it, and I can wear that shirt proudly. Paul says we have to force our bodies, we have to force the spirit inside of us, little s, into our control to chase Jesus. So that we're doing it Jesus' way. You ever wonder what life would look like if you only ever did only the things you wanted to do? I mean, think about it. Netflix for weeks until it got really boring, right? We would just binge and binge and then share what we should binge on next, and it would be awesome, right? No. For me, I think, no, no, I wouldn't binge. I would just ride my motorcycle and ride my motorcycle and ride my motorcycle. It would be so much fun and I would only do what I wanted and I would just stop wherever I could and and sleep under the stars and all kind of dumb ideas. But we can't. And we can't do that with our spiritual relationship to Jesus either. We've got to grab a hold of it make a plan, determine where we want to be and what is it going to take to get me down that road closer to that objective. I started thinking about this and I thought, in my own life, if I imagine that my spiritual well-being is my actual real life, Okay, you make the metaphor back and forth, but you can apply this to your real life as well. What does your house look like right now? What's your house look like? What's your apartment look like? What's your almost dorm room look like right now? Now imagine that that's your your house is your spiritual well-being. What's your house look like? Because I believe that God wants to here comes refresh you today Somebody shared that word from God with me And and you know it clicked into my head and said yes, that's what God wants to do in your life today he wants to bring refreshing in your, in your life. But what does your house look like right now? Does your yard need mowing? I love to mow. I just do. I, so that's not an issue for me. I love to mow. But what about my spiritual well-being? Is there something that needs to be clipped? Is it growing and it should not be growing? I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about stuff in my life that needs to be clipped. Is there something in my life that needs to be vacuumed? Do I need to vacuum in my spiritual well-being? Is there dust bunnies coming up everywhere because I'm not paying attention to my relationship because I'm so busy for God? And I need to vacuum this junk out of my life? Are there dishes all over the place in my real house? Or my spiritual house? Or my relational house? Is my garage a wreck? Why does your spiritual house look like it does? Why does your real house look look like it does. I used to put it this way, instead of with your house, I would say, what's the inside of your car look like right now? Oh, don't talk about my car. I was going somewhere with one of my children one time, and I said, you drive, and they said, don't judge me. I said, what? I just said, you drive. They said, don't judge me. I opened the door. (laughs) It was no judgment. It was a little bit was not much judgment I tried as best as I could I judged the living daylights out of them it was ridiculous okay how many parents have said I taught you better than that okay I live in a world in my vehicles because I hated my room growing up because nobody else would clean it for me where if you get in my car with something you need to get out of my car with something okay okay and I'm just telling you right now, whether it's your living room, your bathroom, your garage, if you take it into your garage and it doesn't belong there, take it out of your garage and you don't have to get that stuff all piled up. Same thing is true with your spiritual life. If you're letting it in, put it back out because sooner or later, the things of this world, not, I'm not talking about sin, I'm talking about the things of this world that are spoken of by Paul when he's talking about raising in Hebrews chapter 12, okay, let us run the race marked out, Is that Romans, let us run the race marked out, but let's lay off the things that hinder us. Let's get rid of the dust bunnies. Get rid of the, you know, people get in my car and they're like opening up a bubblegum thing and I'm like, hey, you're going to take that out of my car, right? Not because I need my car to look like it's new. I, you know what? Do you know that clutter can actually lead to depression in your life? Do you know that? It really can. When things in your life are out of place, and I'm not saying you've got to live in a museum, But when the things in your life, when the relationships in your life are are whack, when you've got your, your house physically, literally trashed up and junked up, let's just say it's not nasty, it's just cluttered. Do you know that it actually depresses you? It actually does. And there's something about cleaning it up and putting it away on a regular basis that helps keep it there that is really, really, really good for you. Do you ever see that that Facebook thing about that that, uh, drill sergeant that said, get up and make your bed? If you don't accomplish anything today, get up and make your bed because you will go through life with a more positive uh, outlook that day because you accomplished something immediately. Make your bed. It's like that. It really is. Just because you don't want to do it doesn't mean it's not important to you and I want to encourage you in that. If you bring it in, bring it out is a good way to continue to keep things away. Last one here is we have a responsibility for our own growth. You understand you have a responsibility for your own growth. You do. Your pastor is not responsible for your growth. Your D group leader is not responsible for your growth. You are responsible for your growth. Are you hungry for Jesus? I mean, seriously, are you hungry for Jesus? You will find Him in the Word. You will find the Holy Spirit alive, living, and active in the Word. You will. He will begin to do things in your life, and you'll be like, Oh, man, it's boring. I know this story. I've, man, I've been preaching the same stories for 25 years. There's only so many of them between the pages. I get that. But it's like a rabbi said to me one time when I was in Columbus, he said, we go through all of these routines. And I said, well, where's the spirituality in this? It just feels like it could be routine. He said, it is, but I can tell you this, when we're going through these routines, we are in the best place possible to hear from God. And that's how it is with spending time with God on a daily basis. It may feel boring to you, But you are in the best place possible to actually hear and have God jump off the page and come alive to you. And sometimes our prayer has more to do with God, I want to want to be hungry. And it's okay to say that to God. It really is. God, I don't understand it, but I want to want to be hungry to do things your way. Paul told Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God. As one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Again, in the King James where I got saved, study to show yourself approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who rightly handles the word of God. See, it's on you. We're here together because I want to share a word with you. We're not here to get a Bible college degree. We're not here because this is seminary. We're supposed to be here because God has given a vision to a leader and he wants to open up the word, make it real to you, so you can grab a hold of it and you can leave here saying, God spoke to my heart today and said, whatever that is. I believe that. You know, when Jesus was on the Sermon on the Mount, That that great big giant kind of cornerstone of our theology. He said, I want you to pray. I want you to fast. I want you to give. I want you to love. And these are the things that we learn how to do in circumstances in the Word of God. But we learn that list that I just shared with you by reading the Sermon in the Mount in the Bible. Now, you can read it on your cell phone. You can read it on your iPad. You can read it off the wall. You can, you just, you know, set your your itunes to read the bible.com or whatever that is but they got this really crazy thing that you can do too and and it's about that thick and you can lay that baby down on the kitchen table and you can actually open this leather thing like that and you look down and you know what it says holy bible only it doesn't say it it's written there it doesn't say it. it doesn't talk Till you open the next page and start seeing the words. And suddenly a conversation starts. And that conversation will encourage you. That conversation will inspire you. That conversation will convict you. But it's only because the person of that conversation loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you that is healthy and good want to overcome lazy, make a plan and set goals. You want to overcome lazy? Commit to making the sacrifice to whatever it is that you said you want to achieve. Stop making excuses. Set goals and make sacrifices instead. You want to overcome lazy? If need be, sell it all and start over again. There's nothing wrong with that. Society does not dictate to you and I. You want to overcome lazy? Move. Seriously, move. Can you hear God calling you? Come, follow me. Then move and watch what God does. But here's the deal. Last thing I have written right there. Stop making excuses and start taking steps you don't know what steps to take until you set the goal you don't know which direction to walk until you know what you want to achieve but i'm telling you my god has the power to see you achieve amazing things just give your life to him and say god that's where my heart is and watch what he begins to do as you enter the mission the kingdom of god some of you are in here right now and you're like. Pastor Joe, I want that want. But I don't have that want. Can we pray for you? If you want the want, you don't have the want. You love Jesus, but you don't have the want. But you want the want. Can we pray for you right now? Could you come up here? You know it's you and you want the want. You don't want to be the first one to get up. Be the first one to get up. Come here. Make the sacrifice. Come here. We want to pray for you. I don't know why I'm doing this. I didn't do it in the first service. But come here. We're going to pray for you. There you go. That's what it takes. That's, that's what it takes to get successful. You have to get out of your chair, whether it's metaphor for a job, metaphor for a career, it's always right for your relationship to Jesus. You've always got to be willing to come back to the Father. It starts there. Anybody else wants the want? We're going to pray for you if you want the want. Pastor Joe, I don't have that hunger for the word of God. I want that hunger. I want the want. I want the want. Is anybody else? I'm good. I just believe when we get together, we should pray for one another. I believe when we get together, we should love on one another. I believe when we get together, we should inspire, encourage, and challenge one another to see God do incredible things in our lives. But we should make the sacrifice because Jesus already did. Let's come to our feet. And as you're coming to your feet, just just think about this. If there is something else going in your life, in your heart, in your mind right now, and you're like, wow, you're not saying this, but this is ringing in my head. We want to pray for you. Can we do that? Can we pray for you? You come up here and say, I want you to pray this. or. I don't want to tell you just pray for me we want to bring the kingdom of god to bear on you because the word of god says pray for all the saints on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and supplications because we believe in the power of god almighty through the heart and the voice and the spirit inside believers